welcome to Talking Payroll. My name is Tracy Angwin. In this episode, I speak to Viani Frost, Coordinator of Payroll Services at the University of Southern Queensland. Viani has been at the university for over 10 years and is one of the most talented payroll managers and leaders that I know. She's doing her master's in leadership and actually mentioned to me after the podcast that her career has taken off since doing our Payroll Leadership Academy. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation I had with Viani Frost. So welcome me to the Talking Payroll podcast. Thank you. Now, we, we've known each other for a little while, but first things first, can you explain to me how you got into payroll? I actually like to tell people that the way I got into payroll is like a gap year gone horribly right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and sometimes I'll, I'll joke and say, actually, just like every other payroll person, I just grew up at career day just wanting to be in payroll, all of that, and have people <laughs> tell me regularly that they, they think the ATO has taxed them too much and I'm personally responsible. And that was my <laughs> lifelong dream. But no, um, I actually started... Um, on a gap year from uni studying education and I just picked up a little bit of extra data entry where I was working which was an abattoir at the time and I really liked the data entry and this was for some payroll people they might still be using them but being a um, sort of factory processing area we had hand scanners Mm -hmm. but because um, they were meat workers obviously gloved hands all day and some of them were missing digits Um, my job was to put in the missing stamps in and out so sometimes you'd get a stamp in but when they stamped out their hands were too wrinkly so it wouldn't work or the people who didn't have pointer fingers I had to put their start and end times in for them so that's sort of my OG payroll um, and swipe cards and from there I (laughs) sort of thought I kind of really like payroll it's sort of cool Um, so then I went into work for a group training organization so we were sort Mm of um, paying smaller organizations employees for them and they were all apprentices and trainees so we got to really see the life cycle of these people starting out um, in so many different fields Um, and I'd sort of gone from you know um, a different group of workers which are the the factory processing workers and these hand scanners into timesheets dropped off by 16 year old apprentices and this is their first job ever and they're sort of Mm. navigating all of this stuff that you know as we grow older we we just get it but they were navigating it for the first time and yeah, then, like no one teaches you that stuff at school. No, and you don't realise, well, I think it's a very common saying, you don't know what you don't know and that sure. applies to other people too. So my most hilarious story there is these couple of kids who didn't realise that you don't have to write what you were sick with on your <laughs> sick certificate. And when I these came across my desk and just for context, I've touched this piece of paper, I have picked it up and this apprentice <laughs> has said, couldn't come to work, had the squirts. And I was like, sir. <laughs> and I'm holding this piece of paper going, you don't have to tell me that. I, you just, I was sick. I was not at work today. So just, just this, you know, these young kids who are like, I just want to get everything right. And, and just the, they were so dedicated to getting everything right and Bless everything them. perfect. And they would hand in three different super forms because they were like, I'm just making sure I get the right one in. It's like, well, you only need one. <laughs> um, but it was just really, they were really sweet. And so it was really enjoyable. And that's sort of where I fleshed out more of the soft HR skills that I was yeah, right. you know, trying to grow, which is dealing with clients and explaining things that are so simple for a payroll person. But you don't realize how many people don't actually know all these things that we deal with every day. There's a lot of people like the um, 
tax-free threshold. There's a lot of people that think it's just your first seven pays don't have tax and things like that, that we just know that's not what it is, but you realise how much specific things you know. Yeah, and right. from there, I um, got a role as a payroll officer where I am currently, which is UniSQ. Um, and it was a real culture shock because I had not worked in higher education. I'd not worked with academics. It is such a huge undertaking within the higher education sector, just mm-hmm. paying all the different modes, you know, because it's paying everyone from your cleaning staff right through to the vice chancellor. And there are so many different requirements and needs and timelines mm-hmm. and things that everyone's dealing with. So, I was a payroll officer for about four years and then um, I was offered a period of higher duties while my manager was away, which led to me taking on the role I currently have, which is as the coordinator of payroll. And so I coordinate the team who were doing what I used to do. And yeah, um, most recently I've done a little bit of project work around just, you know, the tidying up of payroll and that governance Mm -hmm. and compliance stuff, which I think everyone in payroll is doing some tidying as well. Um, But yeah, so that leads me to today. I mean, it's a super interesting career path into what's a pretty – pretty interesting corporate job and we will talk about um the university of southern queensland but it's really interesting that you started in abattoirs i think that is such a great educational breeding ground for payroll professionals and in fact when i started in the payroll industry many years ago mid mid 90s um I was I got really involved with abattoir payroll and i totally oh. get it and the, it just makes me laugh like because you sort of keep it real when you're doing it, when you're involved in abattoir payroll because you're often going from place to place in the abattoir trying to get around carcasses of of uh, animals and things as well. So, yes. but I do remember. I, I do think it's a really interesting payroll because it's normally you know an environment where there's little or no natural light. It's damp. It's noisy. There's yeah. a lot of safety equipment on the employees. So there's a whole heap of challenges that you don't get if you're processing a payroll of 300 accountants, for example. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely, look, um, one component of my job that I'm glad, you know, was just something that was very light on was the work cover side. <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, we had people who were legitimately kicked by animals that did not currently have heads so you know it's it's it was not unusual to see forms come through where the person was kicked by an animal that was half mm. a carcass but it's nurse. Oh so goodness. yeah it's just such a different environment sorry and to all the vegans and vegetarians that might be listening to this but yeah i should like have added a really... warning before this um and yeah it, it is a different environment it's a different sort of um and, and even the types of languages you and certainly um uh, the, the languages that you hear early in the morning when you're walking past some of the yeah, that's <laughs> some of right. the, the a... boning rooms and things. The best part is when they give you a tour. So they used to give people a tour before they left. So in, on my last day, they gave me a tour, but they started at the boning room and the packing room, which meant instead of going from sort of kill floor to the end mm-hmm. where you see the animal broken down, they took me in reverse. So I saw the animal put back together because <laughs> of the way it went through. And look, it is... It's fascinating and it really is, um, yeah, it, it, because it's something everyone, every, well, almost everyone would be eating meat. So it's one of those, yeah, but it was look, certainly, it was an eye. It's got to get on, you know, it, look, I think I, the thing I love about my career in the payroll industry is that I've seen, I've learnt so much about so many industries because I've been, had access to them. And, and the, the meat processing industry is a, a really good example of that 
whether yeah. you eat meat or not. But I'm interested as well because you're you've got a very specific LinkedIn profile. I love your LinkedIn profile, and you say right at the very start, and I'm quoting this: you say providing trust in the power of your payroll <laughs> team. I want to. I would love you to explain what you mean by that. So, it's actually a two-part. There's a, there's two parts that help me get to having that that um, yeah profile. Um, so I used to have a standard. I'm a payroll professional who pays role pay you know pays people while being payrolly in a payroll sense. Like I, I had a really generic. You wouldn't. You'd be like, all right, is she a payroll clerk? Is she a payroll admin? You know, she's just mm-hmm, in payroll mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, and look, shameless plug on behalf, you can send me my hamper afterwards, but the first (laughs) half of it I got when I went to the Australian Payroll Association, um, Leadership Academy in Sydney. Okay. Um, Well, I was going to say, it's very similar to something that I talk about, which is why I love it. But obviously I'm a university student and the very first thing we learn is that we don't plagiarise things. Um, You'd be welcome. Yeah, I really liked, I mean, you sort of opened it going, here's what we stand for, here's what we're about, here's what we're going to do. And it's something that I'd been starting to learn about, but I really, really liked where you go up front, here's who I am, here's what I can do for you, here's how I'll do it, here's what you can expect, that's what I am, and that's what you can hold me accountable for. Um, And then I second plug, so I could get two bonuses out of this is that I've been studying my MBA through UniSQ um, Mm -hmm. and I started just after I'd done your leadership academy. My first subject was about creating your leadership identity and as part of that we had to create sort of this one or two sentence phrase that was like who we are and what we stand for and what we do Um, and so having come straight from your you know your Leadership Academy, and then having to create this—that's um, how it sort of came about. And Brilliant. yeah, I really wanted to just tell people, like, you know, our pay is the—and again, this is might be something I've stolen from you prior as well. The buck quite literally stops and also starts with payroll. So mm-hmm. none of us—it doesn't matter how passionate you are about your job—and we come across some extremely passionate payroll people. I heart payroll every day. I've even got it on a mug, but I would not come here and do it for free. So none of us are working for free. It's Mm -hmm. really important. It gives us the ability to keep joyously coming back to work because after work we can go to Kmart. Um, I just didn't want to put that in my plug. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I... And so it's like, it doesn't matter what you think about payroll, you have to rely on us to pay you correctly. And so my overarching goal is just to make sure that people can trust me to have their bank details, have all that in this modern era where every third corporation is getting hacked and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. You can trust me to hold your information. You can trust me to process it correctly. You can trust me to get everything right so that you can trust me to make sure you can meet your obligations, your mortgage, your your Kmart shop, all of this. Um, but also that you can trust me to provide a payroll solution that might be a bit creative or helpful that that's going to help you with your next piece. So if you come to me and say, oh, I think I'm going to have to work half time because I've got to do this, this and this, you can trust me to put on my payroll hat and go, hey, what if you worked half time and took a little bit of leave and did this and then you're not going to lose half your pay? What do you think about that? So I think the trust in payroll people is sometimes hard earned because a lot of people don't understand payroll, but my 
my passion is to make people not just understand peril, but like, yeah, really trust that we're mm. here for the good of you and we want you to earn that money just as much as you want to earn it, but we want it to be correct and, yeah. So that's I sort of, just love that yeah. so much. And the reason I love, I specifically love your language around trust is that when we talk to organisations, which we do a lot, who've got challenging payroll departments that for whatever reason, you know, it's, it's been sort of said and forgotten about for, for years or they've had, you know, people issues or technology issues, whatever the reason is, mm. oftentimes the impact of that, because it's not necessarily the, the thing that's the problem, it's the impact of the problem, oftentimes the impact of whatever problem comes uh, out of the pay office is that our, we've lost the trust of our employees. We've lost the trust of our managers. People don't believe in payroll because they, they just assume that we're getting it wrong. We've got a really bad name. That, mm. And that's what I love about your languaging around, around trust because if that's what you're delivering, notwithstanding, I mean, how boring is it to go to a dinner party and say, well, actually what I do is I get a hold of the timesheets and then I check, yeah, and, and actually go <laughs> through the process. That's a pretty boring yeah. conversation. But to just to say that, we provide trust in the power of your payroll team. Boom, I know exactly what you do. I know what the outcome is and I know why. And it's exactly the reason that we at Australian Payroll Association, as you say, talk about we create confidence in how people get paid. I can tell people we have memberships and we've got training services and we do specialist payroll consulting and we do specialist payroll recruitment. Boring. But if I actually say our job is to create confidence in how people get paid, um, it's our North Star. And what's really cool is every time I come up with a crazy product idea, we bring it back to as a team, does it create confidence in how people get paid? And if it doesn't, we don't do it. So that's what I love about you providing trust. It's awesome. I love it. So uh, that was my rant. I'm supposed to be interviewing here. <laughs> hey, you did talk about the Power Leadership Academy. I want to, I, um, I guess, give you a bit of feedback on this because when you did it a couple of years ago now, you immediately struck me as someone with actually really natural leadership ability and you talk a lot about coaching and mentoring and developing your team. I'm really interested to understand your strategy around this. I've, I know that you've, you've also said in the past, that, you know, you can take a, a non-payroll person and make them a payroll person. What, what's your, how do you do that? How, how do you go through that process? Look, um, full disclosure, the first um, two pieces in my coaching development leadership training arsenal are, in fact, cake and coffee. So <laughs> I, I, find them, works for you. I find them very instrumental in engaging people. Um, I, I think it's, well, when we, when I say like we can turn anyone into a payroll person and that's, so far we've been very, very successful some of that stemmed from, and a lot of people I think have probably had these issues in recruitment. I mean, it is a lean recruitment market right now. Mm, so if you're looking mm. for payroll people, you need half a million dollars and probably 10 cakes a week <laughs> um, because they're just highly sought after. Um, yeah. But And yeah, so we were, we were initially advertising and this is a few years ago and it was the standard that a lot of people were doing saying must be experienced in, you know, or we would say we'd like you to be experienced in PeopleSoft, which we use, and we would like you to have three to five years experience. And that's, that's certainly um, a similar. Narrows the field. <laughs> Yeah. Um, 
and so it's similar to the job advertisement that I answered when I had come into USQ and I'd said, look, I've had lots of experience in payroll. I haven't had experience in PeopleSoft, but I have used these similar systems. And I do believe that if you've used some HRM systems, they do all have a similar function and you can pick sure. it up. But I also think beyond that, like I can show you a system. I mean, three years ago, I had no idea MS Teams even existed. Now I use it 15 times a day. So these mm. systems are easy to pick up. They're easy to use. But what I can't teach you, what I can't really develop very well, what we can't write a um, standard operating procedure on is your cultural fit, your behaviours, your attitudes. Mm. I can sort of coach you a little bit on that. But you come to me with those sort of inbuilt and we can say you know this is what our usq culture is and things like that so i'm i'm more looking for team members who you know are going to be a great fit are going to be service-minded people who want to be there to help our staff you know to provide that great service and that's what they thrive on and they have those attitudes and behaviors that would make it easier to train them you know they're eager to learn they're you know i've got really really bright girls in my team and they came in from very different backgrounds um but they're all these really transferable skills. You know, I've got someone in my team who spent years working in a factory putting furniture together um, and she's doing brilliantly in this team because there's troubleshooting, there's problem solving, there's conflict in there, there's, you know, things like that. So that's how I sort of go, here's how I can find my team. And then we have really, really great standard operating procedures. So I'm so confident in them that I reckon I could have you in here tomorrow following my SOPs and you'd be able to run a pay to like 80% of what I run it to. Yeah, brilliant. And um, that's so unusual to have to have that documentation. Um, it really is. I mean, it's, it's obviously everyone's goal, not everyone's, but it's often a goal to to have that that documentation but it's really it's, it's very hard to put together and very time consuming and you've got to you, you can't really do it just in between all the other work that you're doing it's, yes. it takes concerted effort yeah we had a we did have a dedicated project um and mm. so I just sort of sent my notes they put them together but we review these at a minimum every 12 months and there mm -hmm. are some that I have tweaked things every time because it's also like if anyone's thinking of creating them they have this great secondary use where you get to go I'm deleting that whole paragraph because we've improved that process so more we don't even use those steps I, yeah, I deleted yeah. a whole SOP because we automated that whole process so the second level is that you can look through your SOPs and go what can we automate what because you've got the whole process in front of you and that made it really, really good for us. And that we use that to help train the new people because then you get a second lens because mm. these SOPs are designed to be used with someone who's got no assumed knowledge. And the best person to have no assumed knowledge is my new person who doesn't work, hasn't worked here till this week. And so they come back to me and say, if I read that not knowing what I know, I don't think I'd understand. And so we're continually tweaking these and things like that. And I use them in my coaching and development of the team. Um, I will blind copy my team into emails that I've sent that aren't sort of super confidential, but to help them just go, here's a really successful email conversation I had. So this will give you an idea of a bit of a template or how I give mm -hmm. advice or things like that. Um, and some of my, I don't even know if I would call it development because I probably just force people along on the journey with, with me. Um, but when I have people say, can you come along to a Teams and do some training with us? I'll have my team come on and I'll say, well, do you want to step them through and I'll just watch and make sure nothing happens but and have them do it? Because 
the aim of the game is for them to be able to backfill me or them to feel mm. confident. If I'm off doing something else, they can do my work. They're engaged because they get a few new, new duties. They could do higher duties. Um, and if I eventually move on, it gives them the confidence. I can't, I can't help with the interview recruitment outcomes, but I can help them feel confident and happy enough to go, I'm going to be the next Viani. Um, it's a big pair of cake shoes to fill, but I'm going to... <laughs> Um, so I, I'll leave a small note going, this is how many cakes are expected every quarter. I was going to say, that's going to be in your PD, surely. <laughs> we'll make it a requirement in the description. But, yeah, so that's sort of how I approach coaching and development in that sometimes it's also about helping people develop out of the team because they're where they want to develop, I can help them with skills that will be so brilliant for my team now. But I ultimately mm-hmm. do know that they are headed on to things they've studied in, you know, new roles that they want to head towards, but trying to develop them in a way that's such a good skill set for the team I've got is really great for the other team members and then ultimately helps them find their forever job yeah, if it's not mine. Look, it's it's just I think I think the best leaders are not afraid to develop their teams to be as good as if not better than they are. I mean and, and you know that you can't keep everyone if you do that, but you no. can certainly um get there's lots of benefits. I mean another thing another topic I've heard you talk about about a lot is customer service and client service excellence. Who who are your customers at uh University of Southern Queensland and how do you measure those um service levels? Um, so we have really wide ranging, um, customers that we're servicing. So obviously there's employees, there's supervisors, managers, there's delegates at multiple Mm -hmm. levels, right through from sort of an, a director level right through to the VC. Um, we also touch, touch on a couple of more regular stipends. So, and scholarships. So we have contact with students. We also have contacts with students who are in, temporary and casual roles that are student-facing roles. So we have a lot of these roles where a student is paid to help other students and things like this, mm-hmm. where we're dealing with lecturers, tutors, the markers, um, the people who help examine our PhDs and dissertations. So it's a really broad range of people. Um, mm-hmm. And I've actually found, to a degree, I just treat everybody exactly the same. So... Um, Obviously, you know, I don't, if, if an executive rings to, I'm not sort of super casual. But in terms of what my service is, I just try and, you know, treat them the same and go, you know, you're, you are, I, I'm your, like, you're my client. So whether it's mm-hmm. a one hour contract, whether it's, you know, and, um, and there are times where it can be really difficult. And there's times where some people may not understand. For them, it's such a quick thing. They just need to claim five hours and it's all the contracts they've got with UniSQ versus a delegate who's got 15 people to get on the system overnight. Um, But I try and keep a a mindset where, you know, everyone's the same and and I try and escalate across and delegate and things like that if I can. But I just want everyone to leave their conversations with me or their emails with me or their experience with me going, yeah, I'd pick up another contract with USQ or um, I'd deal with mm. money again. And the payoff from that and where I get my reward is when people ring through and say, I'm just ringing you because I knew you'd have an answer. I'm ringing you because I knew you'd be able to help. Or I tell them the thing and they're like, I knew you'd be able to help. Thanks heaps. And And that is what leads back to me knowing I have helped develop their trust in me providing payroll solutions because I get that feedback. 
Yeah, it's almost an ambassador. I think I think we should think of it more in terms of payroll being an ambassadorship of of employers because oh, it's yeah. where the it's yeah. absolutely where the rubber hits the road from a you know employee engagement point of view. I mean, I I often say you want to upset your employees as fast as possible. Just don't pay them right, or don't give them the yeah. right information, or 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 don't return their calls or whatever. Um, it's such a personal uh, relationship. So that's um that's a fantastic way of thinking of it. I mean, a lot of actually on universities, you know, a lot of universities are getting a bit, uh, fairly tight and close attention of fair work at the moment. Um, mm. Can you tell me um, about, I mean, about the, the payroll at University of Southern Queensland in terms of the complexities of a university payroll that aren't well understood outside of universities? Yeah, so I think... There are there are really complex payroll because there's so many different types of employee first and foremost. Mm. So we have a lot of casual staff, um, and then we sort of have these staff who work. So they're casual, as in you know they'll come in and work in our coffee shop a couple of mornings a week. You know, casual. They'll need to claim, um, but they might have weekend penalties. They might work events. So that's sort of the same complexities as many hospitality awards might have. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have more sort of yeah staff who work in sessions that might be one lecture a week, one tutorial a week, and a smattering of um, marking on a casual basis again. And so they're working every week, but they're trying to manage their claiming and maybe they're backfilling continuing lecturers. We also have two very distinct groups of employees in that we have professional or general staff and we have academic staff and mm. they are both very very different in how how the work is understood how the work is undertaken um, you know I sort of when I'm explaining to people the best way I know how to explain it is that I'm a professional staff member and I work 9 a.m till 5 p.m as an example but academics may still work those hours but they're more like pieces of work so it's a piece of lecture a piece of tutorial a piece of course coordination and a piece of mark so they have these pieces Mm. and they're not as easily defined into nine to five so you've got Mm. those big differences and they're paid Um, differently aren't they like yeah Yeah, the first tutorial that I might run I get paid at a different rate than subsequent tutorials for example and then it's there's a lot of and this this ties into you know eb so we're under an enterprise bargaining agreement Mm -hmm. and enterprise bargaining agreements are great because everything's just condensed and you're not looking at 19 different awards and when i was with the group training organization we had 30 40 different awards we were applying to all these people so i love the simplicity of going here is our eba it's my magic book of everything but Mm -hmm. and you would know this too ebas are written in a way that is almost designed to be easy to understand but is also never really easy to understand because we Mm -hmm. have all these round table discussions going well i really trans translate this to mean that and the language is just very easily understood or misunderstood by multiple you know you can take a lot Mm. of context from it and go well I think it's that and I think it's that and you know so that is what makes it complex too Um, and you're dealing with people who it's their day-to-day and it's their you know the money comes in and that's the work they do but it's like this intersection in academia of your personal and your career goals because your career goal is to you know exceed and work here and do this and earn the money but then personally you're doing a PhD on 
the cancer that might have taken your father's life or things like that. So there's a real, especially in academia, there's this real personal push as well. And it might not sound as super complex, but it can become really, really complicated when we're looking at things like excess leave or things like that, because the, the people here are so passionate about everything that they do. So you're also balancing people being passionate and, you know, and sort of being like, you can be passionate, but um, remember to take your holiday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I actually think university payroll is one of the more complex payrolls that I think there's lack of understanding of. I mean, we all know that, yeah. you know, retail is complex. We all know that hospitality is complex. We all know that manufacturing is complex um, because we understand it. I think I, I remember when I got involved with some university payrolls some years ago, just being quite blown away with the complexity of the rules. And yes, you've got an EBA, but like you say, they're not necessarily um, written in a way that there's a binary option. Sometimes there's a whole heap of gray areas in them. So yeah. um yeah, I think it's I, th- I think it's just worth exploring because I think it's an, an industry that's uh, it's incredibly unique. I mean, you talk about being a um, a partner with with a business or an employer. It makes me think, and I'm interested in your view on this. Should we be calling? Which should we stop calling our roles? You know, payroll officers these days, and should we really be developing payroll business partners rather than payroll officers? Do you think that's important in terms of te- terminology and what we what we call these these payroll roles? It's really interesting you said that because I really do think that. And up until a short while ago, I had um, we've been meaning to reshoot it now that we have a newer team. But we had a little banner in our payroll signature that was all of the team members and our little who we are was your payroll partners. Um, yeah, cool. And so I th- and we like to think of ourselves as payroll partners because. I think, you know, and when I started, everyone was a payroll clerk, but it was just very data centric and data entry. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. but now there's, there's this expectation and ability that teams have to, we're not just entering your overtime form. Um, We're going, hey, we noticed that Tracy's worked five hours of overtime for the last 10 weeks. And we're just wondering, she normally works 20 hours a week. So we've paid it as this, but do you think maybe it's the time to just increase Tracy's FTE by five hours a week? If you think Mm -hmm. this is ongoing, because she doesn't have to submit a form and, you know, so they're giving advice, which means they need to be up on a lot of the legislations. They need to be reading extra things. Um, again, mm. third plug, the um, news bites from APA. Love those for us. Um, <laughs> so, but you need to be subscribing to those things and across those things and just understanding all of it. And it's more than just put in the form, finish the form, go mm. to the next form. There's this softer HR side, but they're, they're not HR officers, but in terms of what we've always kind of considered as a true, you know, payroll officer, I don't think many are in those roles either. I think payroll is it's payroll partners because mm. we're 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 almost like the bridge between HR and finance, really. And and I think that is a partnering role. Yeah, I, I mm. agree. And I, I just thought I'd put it to you because um, I'm not seeing a huge uptake on it. In fact, I think it was my colleague Ross Heron who who actually coined the phrase payroll business partner. Um, and I just really love it because no matter whether, and that was in context of sort of a more of a uh, an outsourcing arrangement, but mm. I actually think in-house payroll, it, you know, we should start talking about it more as being a business partner, not just an you know, operational function that to get the pays out. 
Yeah, and I think change something as simple as changing a title can change understanding of the roles. Certainly at UniSQ, so um, where I often say HR, but where people portfolio, which I think has that nice sort of people centric start. Mm-hmm. And we moved a couple of years ago to a partnering. Um, so you know we have senior partners now, and just the impact that it's had to have these this group of people who, within our partnering model, they bridge between us and all the work areas, and they'll come back and they can escalate and triage work and things like that. And so they're obviously in a senior partnering role, but it's then allowed you know our teams to look at what they do and say, well, yeah, in a payroll capacity, we're payroll partners. And mm-hmm. so I, I think the payroll, uh, I think the partner model is really really successful and everyone in a portfolio can be a partner um we're like payroll specialist partners um but yeah that the the business yeah, partnering that we've got um it has worked really really well from from mm. where i've sat internally it's just such a good model and and that's what had led us in payroll to to go well we're going to think of ourselves as payroll partners because we're partnering with the people we pay with the managers of the people we pay with Mm -hmm. the VC who heads our organization that we pay and so yeah internally we would call ourselves people partners too yeah cool Mm. so I mentioned what you um what do you enjoy most about your role in in payroll um or about working in payroll I should say I think I think I enjoy the 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 feedback when I've genuinely made a really good impact and I've I've worked specifically hard on it. So there's been a couple of conversations where people have come and they'd said, "Oh, I think I've got to go half time. Um, I've got to do all this stuff." And I've been able, you know, I've spent a couple of days on it and I've hashed out some calculations and I've sorted this and I've looked at this option and I've come back to them with a solution that says, "Hey." You can, you can do this work and you can also do this, but did you know you can do that and have you thought about that and there's this tax thing and then if you fill in this mm. form, what do you think about that solution? And a couple of weeks ago, someone actually came back into the office having spoken to me um, and she had just wanted to tell me that she thought Peril was magical. And like, oh, I know so that sounds all like, oh, Vianney, but it was just, you know, also like I love magic, but... I just, it was so exciting to, and, and that again is that trust in payroll because I mm-hmm. guarantee if you think I'm magical, you must trust me because I have got your entire career on the line here with your FTE and all of this stuff. And yeah, when they come back in and, and sometimes I've had people, um, I had a colleague who was finishing up at USQ and I had worked with her. She'd been a casual, she'd been contracted, she'd been working with us on many different, uh, different roles and she came in and she was just finishing up and, um, she brought me a little container of seashells that she had labelled with the scientific labels on them to say thank you. Um, And they were actually taken um, from an area that when it wasn't a reserve and now it's a reserve, so you can't get shells from there anymore. And, you know, aside from getting a really good, like they were really cool shells um, and I was on cloud nine all day, but the fact that she wanted to specifically come in and thank me for it and bring the gift and send a card and when people are finishing with the university and they say make sure you invite Viani or invite payroll or whatever to their going away parties um that's the stuff I really go well that that means I've been impactful to you um so that that's Absolutely. what I like the most being impactful to people yeah that's fantastic. in a good way <laughs> 
I mean, that's and that's just it's just so lovely to hear those stories because so often payroll is blamed or uh, ignored or you know certainly yeah. not many people thank payroll for the for the jobs that we do. So. Uh, and even though if they did all the time, as I think I've shared with you, once my husband was uh, found out he was thanking his payroll manager, which was probably freaking her out. Um, but he did it because he said, well, you always say that people never say thanks to payroll. Um, I think that they're really lovely gestures and, and it's and most welcome, as you say. What's yeah. your, um, on, on the other on the other end of the spectrum, what's your biggest payroll challenge right now? Um, I think our biggest challenge right now is is probably – the information that we get and how we get it. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully I can explain this in a way that makes sense. It's because we're a large organisation, and I think this rings true for a lot of parallel organisations, we're at the end of whatever changes someone's making. So I mm-hmm. come to you, my supervisor, and say, I want to change my FT to half time. And you say, actually, yeah, we can accommodate that. Great idea. I'm supportive. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to put that in online. Can you approve it? But then you take a week to approve it and then payroll gets it a week later. Um, And so the information that we're getting is sometimes not correct. It's sometimes not on time. And so the challenge is then it could be two pays until I have been put on my half FTE. Meanwhile, I've been paid full FTE. And so how do we get our information in a way that is meaningful and correct but also we have fortnightly deadlines and they are not changeable. So mm-hmm. how do we then get the right information at the right time with the right intent behind it? Because as we've said earlier, sometimes the payroll language is not easily understood by people outside payroll. So if I say change of work schedule versus change of work pattern, one of them you're changing how much you get paid, therefore how many hours. The other you're just working four days a week instead of five but the same hours. So that means something to me but it's harder to understand. So how are we making sure our information is going out and coming back correctly? And I think that's it's just education pieces that we need to have and say mm-hmm. to the supervisors, again, let us help you, but here's how you can help us help you. Um, and I yeah, think that's our exactly. biggest challenge because, every, you know, if payroll thinks we're busy, everybody's busy at the moment. So the other thing is no one's giving us information late or, you know, not quite understood correctly or not with the notes we need on purpose. Mm. It's just that there are so many competing deadlines and people and things that we're keeping an eye out for that, yeah, it's just really hard to get it in on time. But if there was some way, that's probably the most challenging thing, just getting our information mm. right as best we can. Yeah, great. Mm. Interesting. Um, my last question for you is about um, what tips do you have for someone who might be considering a career in payroll? Um, <clears throat> I think my first tip is that you – you do have to be resilient um, because payroll is payroll's like a high high volume job. It's it's high volume in the type of work that we do mm-hmm. just because it is pay, so it's really highly important. You're dealing with the most sensitive information around employees and their employment, um, and also sometimes it's just human nature. When something goes wrong, people will be upset, and sometimes you know you will be on the receiving end of someone who's just had this horrible stuff happen. So resilience is something really, really needed. That's not to say that it's something where you just need to be okay with being yelled at all the time and not like that, but just there is a resilience needed even in terms of the knowledge that you hold because there Mm – 
are documents I just deleted the other day that I saved a year ago and they're already out of date. The legislation changes. The, um, the date that the awards become effective with the pay rises changes. So it is so ever-changing that you almost mm. need like knowledge resilience because you're going to have to keep relearning things. Mm. Um, I think really you would have point. to be someone who's okay with never actually being at the complete top of your game because you will never, ever know everything that you have to know about payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're cool well. with just being like, I know pretty much everything I have to today, but tomorrow come see me again, I won't know it because something will have changed. Um, so it's sort of that resilience and just being able to go, I'm okay with not knowing everything because I just simply can't. Um, and to be sort of inquiring because you're going to spend your entire life going, but why is that? And what is that? Mm-hmm. And how is that? And you'll have to spend all of your time doing that. Um, probably. And look, one one tip I will say is if anyone's thinking, oh, payroll seems like a good job, um, but I'll need to know numbers, you do not absolutely need to know numbers because in our entire payroll team, and I think this harks back to always hire and have people in your team smarter than you, the person who is probably the worst at manipulation management of numbers is me. Um, <laughs> So, it's true because, like, we're not we, – we don't do payroll calculations on Abacus anymore. Yeah. Um, so you, do, you don't have to be um, – you don't have to be an accountant. You don't have to mm-hmm. be – like, obviously, you have to really understand that one hour plus one hour of overtime is two hours. Like, that, mm-hmm. I understand that in numbers. But you don't have to be so across fringe benefits and all of this financial-related stuff to be in payroll because a lot of it is – it's not as number-heavy as we tend to think. Um, but yeah, that's probably my biggest tip. Don't fool yourself into thinking you have to be a numbers whiz to be in payroll because <laughs> that is a really, really if good point. You ask point, my well girls made. about their feedback on some of my data entry; they will tell you she's I'm I'm not the top numbers person in my team, which is why I hired the other geniuses. That you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm That is so interesting and a point, as I say, very well made. It is always a pleasure speaking with you, Viani. Thank you for coming on Talking Payroll. It's um, I, I always learn so much and today has been absolutely no exception. Oh, thank you for having me. It was fun. Hi, this is Tracy. I hope you enjoyed that last episode of Talking Payroll. If you've got any comments or questions, please email them to us at podcast at ostpayroll.com.au. And look, if there's anyone that you'd love to hear on this podcast or someone that you think that I just have to interview, and maybe that's even you, uh, please, please let us know by emailing podcast at ostpayroll.com.au. That's podcast at austpayroll.com.au. I'm really looking forward to having you listen again next time I'm talking payroll.